Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Numbers chapter 25 is where we are. Our next last next week, we will finish up the, 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 uh, the book of Numbers, so make sure you're here. I know it's going to be Thanksgiving weekend, and you're going to be too full to kind of carry yourself out, but I want to encourage you to be out here. Or is it, is it next? No. You know, Thanksgiving does come later, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, well, so be here anyway <clears throat> as we finish off the book of Numbers. But if at first you don't succeed, don't you just love that phrase? How many have ever had that phrase given to you as a young person by your parents or your coach or someone? If you at first don't succeed, try, try, try again. Yeah. It's one of the most common sayings of motivation that we give to each other to teach persistence, to teach uh, patience, to, con- to teach continuation. However, it sometimes can be thought of or used in a very negative way. Now, last week we read of King Balak of Moab as he tried to entice Balaam to curse the Israelites. You remember the story we looked at last week. However, what the king meant for evil, Yahweh meant for good as God caused Balaam to bless the Hebrew children, not to curse them, and also to prophesy their eventual victory and domination over the region and over their enemies. And from this we learned that God always has a plan for his children, that his children should always expect opposition, but that God subjugates all opposition. Let me say it again. All opposition to our good and for his glory. Amen? And Father, we thank you for that. And Father, it's within those truths that we rest this morning, knowing, Lord, that you have accomplished all that is necessary for us to live a life, Lord, that glorifies you. And I pray that you open up our minds and hearts as we look at Numbers 25. I pray that we'd be able to understand your word as it's examples for our instructions. Be with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as we open up to the 25th chapter of Numbers this morning, we're going to read a Balaam's treacherous advice. Last week, you might recall that Israel was in the background as Balaam came into the foreground. This week, it's reversed. Israel comes back into the foreground as, as Balaam comes. And we see that we're going to read of Balaam's treacherous advice, Israel's descent into idol worship, and God's judgment and mercy towards his wayward children. In verse 1 of chapter 25, we read that Israel is living in Shittim, which is the, the uh, plains of Moab, which is just north of Moab and across the Jordan River from Jericho. It seems that they are resting after their recent battles, unaware of what had transpired between King Balak and Balaam, and they're preparing for that last push in, across the river to begin their conquest of Canaan. However, As you and I begin reading this chapter, Numbers chapter 25, we find that this next generation is susceptible to fall into the gross sin as did their fathers. In this chapter, we read that they have much in common, or this has much in common with Exodus chapter 32. So Exodus 32 and Numbers 25 have much in common. Two generations 
Forty years separates them, but much is in common. You might recall from our study in that book of Exodus uh, several years ago that when Israel was, uh, that Israel began to worship a golden calf and began to worship it when they became impatient with Moses' absent at the Mount Sinai where he was receiving the law, the commandments from God. And we're going to see four common themes in Exodus 32 and Numbers 25. You can write these down. They're here on the screen. The first one we see is that the people begin to sacrifice and their sacrifice to other gods. We see this in the first uh, two verses of Numbers. When Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So they began to sacrifice to other gods just as their fathers did. The second th- common theme is the killing of the apostates was demanded in Numbers chapter 24, verses 4 through 5. We see, and the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and listen to this and remember this phrase Hang them in the sun before the Lord. Hang them in the sun before the Lord that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. You might remember Peor, that was the city where um, I believe uh, Balaam lived. And Baal, uh, Peor was where Baal worship originated from. So not only do we see that the people sacrificed to other gods as their fathers did, but then God also orders the, the killing of the apostates, those who left God to worship other gods. Number three, the third common theme is that the Levite's status is enhanced for their obedience. They follow through what God calls them to and God sets them up. We see this in Numbers chapter 25, starting with verse six. Read uh, verse, actually verse 10, read with me there in verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, in verse 12, he says, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and to his descendants. Whose descendants? Phineas, the Levites, the, that family of the Levites after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood. You may want to underline that. That's going to be important as we go on. Because he was jealous for his God and he made atonement for his people of Israel. Another important phrase as we work through Numbers 25. So that God enhances the status of the Levites, especially here that of Phineas's family. And then the fourth common theme, the fourth and last, is found in Numbers 25, verse uh, 9, or verse 6, excuse me, where we see the plague on the people. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses, in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. This is, this is right out in the open. He, he just does this in front of everyone. It says, while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of the meeting, at the tabernacle, he brings, her, he brings this woman right past them. And when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation. He took a spear in his hand and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and he pierced both of them. The man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. 
we see truly that history repeats themselves. The sons of the father become the sins, or the sins of the father become the sins of the children. This is another sad example of Israel's failure to conform to Yahweh's law in their attitude and in their actions, in their minds, in their hearts, and in their actions. They could not conform to the law of God, even before they get the law, and then here we are 40 years after. Now, it's easy for you and I to read this chapter and just shake our head and wonder at their stupidity and the stiff-necked uh, naked resistance to God's calling and His plan and His purpose for them. With the gift of hindsight, you and I read of their failures, and we find ourselves quick to judge them from their uh, judge them of their hard heartedness, uh, heartedness, and congratulate ourselves that we are not like them. Many times, that's how you and I read these Old Testament stories. We say, "I'm glad that I'm not like them." Does that sound familiar? It's kind of like the Pharisee who comes and says, "I'm glad that I'm not like this this sinner." who's beating his chest saying, have mercy on me, O God. And you and I have a tendency to read the Old Testament, the rest of Scripture, and those who fail and say, I would not have done it that way yet. Are we not like them? Do we not follow in their same footsteps? Do we not also fall quickly into sin and rebellion against our Maker? Do we not fail to conform in his laws and our own attitudes and actions this own week? Your heart has betrayed you. Your actions have. Maybe even this morning. Do we not take God's wonderful gifts of mercy and provision and protection for granted? We live our lives as if one day we will not stand before God. We forget all the wonderful things. We use his gift of sight and breath and touch and sense and we use it to satisfy our own lusts and desires? Do we not find old ways of falling into temptation while also exploring new avenues to satisfy our selfish desires? Guilty. Guilty is charged. See, once again, you are not the hero of the story in the Bible. In this passage, you are not Moses, you are not Phineas, you're the Israelite. You're the man that's bringing the Midianite woman to your, your tent, metaphorically speaking. See, we are the ones who are displeasing God. and You and I have to come to that recognition, and that should bring us to a point of repentance and confession. Now, as you and I feel the other shoe drop in our minds as we consider that and we realize that that's the truth and that we contemplate those questions, let's take a moment to consider how this cycle of sin, this cycle of rebellion continues to repeat not only in the Hebrew children's life, but also in our, in our own. Why is it that we continue to fall into sin? Why do we not learn from the mistakes of those of those before us? Why do we continually search for new ways to rebel against the Almighty Creator? I want you to give you three things to know. Three things to know. These are three truths. First, you and I must understand that Satan is persistent. Satan is persistent in his opposition to God's calling, God's plan, and God's purpose for your lives. We learned this last week. We, we expect opposition. 
But you need to understand this, that he definitely is persistent. He does not give up. Now, just as he failed in getting Balaam to curse the Israelites, and you have to remember this is Satan's work behind all this, he understands the principle, if you at first don't succeed, try, try again. Even as God thwarts Satan's plan to curse God's children, the devil tries a different avenue of attack here in Numbers chapter 25. He has Balaam advised King Balak in a more subtle maneuver, one that he believes will work much better than trying to curse that which God has blessed. Pastor John MacArthur in his Bible commentary writes this concerning this passage. He says, according to Numbers 31 verse 6, the incident was brought about by the counsel of Balaam. So why is it that these women of Moab and the women of Midianite are intermingling and, 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 and um, participating with the Israelites? We see that it's the advice of Balaam in chapter 31 verse 16. Failing to be able to curse Israel, he gives the Moabites and the Midianites direction on how to provoke the Lord's anger against his people. In other words, if I cannot get the Lord to curse them or allow me to curse them, I'll get them to disobey God, then God will have no other choice than to disobey him. It seemed like Balaam understood God's word and God's covenant better than the Israelites did in many cases. Though we're not sure of how Balaam came to this advice, we do see that it works, and it works very well. Unbeknownst to Moses and the Israelites, King Balaam instructs the women of Moab to intermingle with the men of Israel in order to entice them into sin. This is a tried and true trick of Satan against God's children. He is very successful at it. Most of us do not go, go looking for ways to rebel against God. We do not wake up and say, how can I rebel against God? In what way can I disobey God today? At least not consciously. However, Satan is very adept at knowing our weaknesses and our breaking points. And he looks for ways to entrap us without our knowledge. This is why the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, you see it here on the screen, to be sober-minded, to be what? Watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like what? A roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. So resist them firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. We see that he is persistent. He is a hungry lion looking to whom he can devour, to whom he can destroy. If one gets away, he looks for another. If one maneuver doesn't work, he tries a different way. In our scripture reading earlier, Randy had quoted the Apostle Paul, who pleaded, <coughs> excuse me, with the Corinthian church, I do not want you to be what? Unaware. So be sober-minded. Be watchful. Do not be unaware, brothers and sisters. You and I must resist Satan's persistent attacks. Secondly, you and I must understand that we fall into sin incrementally, meaning that it comes in small steps. Again, we don't walk off and just walk into a deep hole of sin. It comes small steps, subtly, one by one. Looking back at the Hebrew children in Numbers 25, 
they understood that Yahweh had called them to a covenant that demanded holiness. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, if you would, please. Here we find the commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, we see the number one law. In verse 2, where God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or in the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water on the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So it simply is you're to honor God with all your heart. Do not worship false idols. God continued to warn them. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, For I, the Lord your God, am a what? Jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children, to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. They didn't fall into sin worshiping idols by just waking up and saying, let's start worshiping idols. They knew and understand this law. They had heard the stories of the previous generations of their fathers, their uncles, their cousins, their brothers, where 23,000 people died because of their worship of the golden calf. Yet here they are, 40 years later, repeating the same failure in a different way. Going back to Numbers chapter 25, we read that though they did not start out worship idols, they were first seduced by satisfying their sexual desires with foreign women, whom then enticed them to join in worshiping a false god. So it comes incrementally. You and I need to understand that our sin begins similar to a small a snow, a snowball. It begins, it begins small, and then you just put it on the ground, you can just roll it and roll it, until you have that big old snowball and making a snowman. That's what sin does in our lives. It begins one small step at a time. It becomes so much bigger than you and I could ever imagine. And as that old phrase goes, it takes us further than we could ever imagine. Again, Satan knows our emotional, mental, and spiritual makeup. You need to understand this. Satan has a millennia of experience in reading people. He knows your desires and he want, your desires and wants probably better than you do. Let me state this though. Satan cannot read your mind. He is not God. He is not omniscient. He is not infinite. Uh, uh, he is not, uh, what's the other one? Omniscient, um, all, uh, omnipresent. But he is an astute reader of character. He's an observer of people. Powerless to harm God's children without God's permission, he seeks to paralyze us with guilt and with shame. He seeks to entrap us with our own desires. His woodshed and toolbox are filled with deceptive and distracting schemes. Again, that's why Paul writes to the Corinthian church, do not become idolaters as some of them were. Now, you don't wake up and say, I am going to worship a different God today. But yet it also goes on to say we must not indulge in sexual immorality. And again, we don't wake up saying, that's what I'm going to do. This is my purpose. This is what I'm going to aim my life for today. But yet we make small 
what's the word? I lost it now. We make small mistakes. We make small compromises bit by bit. Before you know it, we're entrapped and ensnared. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 1. You know this portion of Scripture. You see, the problem is, is that you and I supply Satan with all that he needs to suddenly lead us into temptation and sin. Hence, Balaam's advice is right in Satan's wheelhouse. Here's how you can entice them. Here's how you can curse them. Here's how you can ensnare them. And he does the same to you and I. James chapter 1, look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. See, it's a, it's a step-by-step process. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So it's temptation by our own desires. That desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin. And then that sin leads to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Sin comes incrementally. We fall into it one small step at a time. You and I must not be deceived, but understand that Satan is persistent in leading us into sin one small step at a time. It's like the old tale of boiling a frog. Have you ever heard that, that phrase? You can never put a frog into a boiling water. He's just going to jump out. But you and I have heard the story. You just put him in regular water and you turn up the heat very low. And then just what happens is the water gets slowly warmed. The frog adapts to it and never leaps out. You and I are much the same way. We don't jump into boiling pots. We're just swimming in lukewarm water. We may feel like it's getting a little bit warm, but still more comfortable. We're adapting to it. And you and I have done that. We've adapted to this world's standards, to its way of looking and living. And we feel that we're okay. As long as we're this far from the world, we can move along with it. And that's what the church has done for centuries. We have to see that leads us into sin. That's why scripture calls us to flee from youthful lust, to put away all sexual immorality, to seek those things that are above. Do not be deceived. Do not fall into sin, even into the smallest of ways. You and I must be about the job of killing sin in our life. I've got a little small little comic here that kind of shows that John Owens. He has a phrase, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. The man says, how can we continue to do this? And he says, this is only half our work. We need to continually kill sin. It's always trying to attack. Remember that phrase, write that down. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And some of you here this morning, you may be caught in that trap. And sin is killing you. It's draining the very lifeblood from you. Your energy, your emotion your strength. Thirdly, you and I must understand that all sin is idolatry. Get this. Satan is persistent. We fall into sin incrementally, but you need to understand this. All sin is idolatry. He, what is he says? Do not be idolaters, but you have to recognize all sin is idolatry at its root. 
When you and I failed to conform to God's law in our attitude and our actions, it beca- it's because we do not hold him up as the object of admiration in our life. Instead, you and I have replaced him with ourselves. So listen to this. All sin is idolatry. And listen to this. Idolatry is self-worship. That's really the issue. All sin is idolatry, and idolatry is self-worship. See, you and I have already transgressed the number one law because who you and I truly worship is ourselves. In essence, we are stating that we do not trust that God's promises are as satisfying as the promises that you and I can make ourselves. We tire of God's rules and regulations and principles. We tire of waiting for his promises to come to fruition. We tire of not being our own boss. We long to be the hero of our story. So all sin is self-worship. And scripture warns us, be not idolaters. This is our default state. We're born with a sin nature that cannot nor desire the things of God, but only to satisfy our own pleasures and desires. We are truly born the walking dead We are mindless zombies roaming to and fro, seeking to wet the appetite of our to wet our large appetites any way we can. Now, don't take my word for it that we're mindless zombies. Take the Apostle Paul, who warns the church in Galatians chapter five. I believe it should be here on your screen. It says, "For you were called to freedom, brothers." Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. That means to seek out your own desire. But through love, serve one another. And see, here's the thing. The issue that was happening in Numbers 25 is that these Israelite women, men did not truly love these Moabite Mennonite women. They desired to consume them. They were a, a commodity for their own selfish pleasures. And you and I must understand that. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But verse 15, here's we see the mindless zombies. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. That's the problem. That's why sin is so rampant here. It's because we're seeking to bite and devour one another, consuming one another for our own self-pleasures, self-worship. But he goes on to say in verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. To combat this awful tendency of self-worship, even among Christians, we must adopt the mind and attitude of Phineas the grandson of Aaron, who in Numbers 25, 11, was described as jealous. Look again at Numbers 25, verse 11. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. Now, this is a great picture here. I'm going to talk a little bit, but if you just want to underline or circle verse 11, there is Christ, and you'll see it as soon as we read it again. 
Phileas, the son of Eliezer, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Now, I'm not speaking of a human jealousy, which is a debt that says God owes me. I'm jealous because look what they have. Look what they gave. Look what God gave them. It's not that type of jealousy. This is a jealousy that is a righteous and holy jealous jealousy. We must subjugate our own honor and our own selfishness to honor God and to serve him selflessly. In summary, we must understand Satan is persistent. You and I fall into sin incrementally and all sin is idolatry and idolatry is self-worship. You and I need to understand that's the truth. They forgot this and they fell into it. It cost them dearly. 24,000 of their fathers and brothers and elders fell to death. Now, I've shared some scripture that has already given us some application. Flee from, a, flee from youthful lust. Uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, things of that nature. And how we are to encounter the subtle schemes of Satan to protect ourselves from falling into sin and to recognize that you and I must honor God with our lives. And I think you caught those applications and many of these things you understand and you know how to combat them. But the rest, the best, excuse me, the best application is the one I want to give you this morning. And the best application to confront Satan, Satan's devices and our own weak hearts is found in God's provision for us It's found in the gospel. Though you may not have seen it in Numbers 25, the gospel is woven throughout this narrative. We see a precursor to what Christ has done for us. We're going to see the gospel at work. You see, the gospel is the only hope that you and I have to combat sin and honor honor God in our calling and in our plan or the plan and purposes that God has for us. Now, as you may recall, the gospel has four parts. We see God, man, which is the problem, Christ, who is the solution, and fourthly, our response. Now, though Moses doesn't record God's appearances, so I want to share with you in Numbers 25 how we see the gospel and how it combats and and helps us deal with the problems of sin. Now, though Moses doesn't record God's appearances or appearance until verse 4, God is found in the very first verse where Israel is found resting peaceably in the plains of Moab. Until that day, God had been providing, protecting, and guiding the Hebrew children to the land that he has created, promised, and ready to deliver to them. They have been chosen and called, not because of their goodness, their righteousness, or any special ability in their people but simply because he chose to love them above every other nation. He has brought them into a special covenant with him, with all the blessings and the protections that come with it. He has called them to holiness and to honor him among the nations. So as we find Israel, they are enjoying the presence of God literally through the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and God's presence in the covenant and in the tabernacle worship. Yet, these recipients of God's blessing reject his rule. We see the problem. They rebel against his law and commandments to have no other God before me. Instead of seeking honor and or to honor him, they seek after strange 
flesh, flesh, and they're seduced into worshiping a false god made of gold and silver and wood. Their pursuit of sin knows no bounds as they proudly march into God's camp, flaunting their sin, rejecting his promises. They rush into sin, plunging many others in the camp to join them in their folly. And as you and I know the story of creation and the fall, you and I as well have done so. Scripture warns us that the penalty of sin is what? Death. And God sends a plague against them that takes the lives of 24,000 people. However, here's the good news of the gospel. Yet even in the midst of their sin in Numbers 25, God provides atonement through the actions of Phineas, the grandson of Aaron. Taking bold action, he atones for the people but grabbing, by grabbing a spear and drives it into the belly of two people. This act of decisive obedience and reverence for the name of God earns him the covenant prize of the covenant of peace from the Almighty, who awards Phineas and then his children the privilege of serving as perpetual priesthood mediating for God and his children. And then we see the response in Numbers 25 as the people respond to God's act of judgment and mercy by following his call there to harass the Midians and strike them down. True repentance, marks this, consists of a sorrowful sin, a rejection of its call, and a renewed trust in the commands and the promises of God. So the gospel is, is shown and woven throughout Numbers 25. And as you and I see the gospel pictured in that chapter, it mirrors the gospel that's proclaimed by Christ, the apostles and the saints throughout history. You see, God has chosen and calling us to be his people. He's granted us the wonderful gifts of a promises of, of, from the almighty creator and provider. He has given all that you and I need. Sin destroyed our minds and our hearts and alienated us from the promises of God. It's plunged us, our lives, into despair, frustration, anger, and selfishness. The struggles that you face this week is a result of that fall. But yet Christ came. Now listen to this. Christ came to atone for our sinners, for our sins. I'm going to have to slow down. Christ came to atone for our sins, not by killing sinners, he didn't avert the wrath of God by killing sinners, but allowing himself to be put to death. And with his arms spread wide, he was pierced by a spear. He now serves as our covenant of peace by reconciling us to God. And he now is the son of Phineas, as he's our perpetual priest who prays for us continually in heaven. See, Numbers 25 paints a beautiful picture that you and I ought to swim in and understand and recognize. For that is the true application of Scripture, knowing that God or Christ has done what we could not. The Holy Spirit calls us to respond to these truths by convicting us of sin, convicting us of righteousness, and pointing us to the judgment. He regenerates our hearts, bringing us into fellowship with the Trinity and guiding us with the truth of God's word. You see, that is what the law could not do. 
And this is why Israel failed. This hence, but this is also why you and I can succeed. Because the Holy Spirit enables us. The letter kills, but the Spirit enlivens. So here's the question. Would you respond to God's provision found in the gospel today? I would ask you, do not delay. Would you taste and see that God is good if you haven't this morning? Let me speak to the Christian. Do you need to be reminded of the power of the gospel? Christ has destroyed the works of the devil. Yes, we must resist and we must be of good courage. We must live by faith. All that the, the, the apostles and the disciples told us. But you and I must also rest knowing that Christ has accomplished the work of atonement for us. Do not be paralyzed with guilt and shame. Let me share with you this morning. If you've fallen into sin, repent, confess, and find the forgiveness of the Father who loves us with no mixture of anger or wrath. For he is the almighty God who loves us and has made atonement even when Satan is persistent, even as we continue to struggle with sin in the small steps. We must recognize that all idolatry is self-worship, but trust in the one who's atoned for our sin. I'd like to close with just this verse. It's found in Ephesians chapter 3. It's here on the screen. Just a wonderful verse. You should underline this one as well. Now to him who is able to do more for, uh, do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ, Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Their head bowed, never had closed with the worship team coming up. I want to challenge you this morning. Recognize that Satan is persistent. So we need to be aware. We fall into sin incrementally. So be aware. All idolatry is self-worship. All sin is idolatry. So be aware. But then also come to the cross where Christ is atoned for all of us, for those of his children, that we may be renewed and we may please him as he calls us to. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel, even as it's pointed to us in, in different portions of the scripture, Lord, as you're mirroring it for us. We're thankful, Father, that we do not have to bear the wrath of our sin. I thank you for your forgiveness. And I pray that we would live in it. I pray that you'd encourage us and challenge us, strengthen us to be aware of Satan and his works, his devices, his schemes. And Father, I pray that we would be of good courage and that we would walk by the Spirit. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand if you would and let's close out. The great song to help us to remember that is that he will hold us fast. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. 
You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.